This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans that bleed two-tone blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. We have a really, really packed show for you tonight. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland, along with me, as always, Rustin Webster's godson, Matt Nacrone. I disowned him <laughs> long, long ago. <laughs> <laughs> and Glenn, the reason we had to put Uncensored in the show's name, Lotzenheiser. It's true. I don't. I don't have anything to say about that. It's. It's absolutely true. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> we have a great show for you guys. As I was saying, first, before we get into it, two things we want to remind you about or tell you about. First one: the scavenger hunt still going on. You have until noon Eastern time on July the nineteenth to get all submissions sent to two tone uncensored at gmail dot com. Enter for a chance to win season opening tickets to that Minnesota Vikings game. Two tickets, you know, you can't beat that. Winning them for free. So go on and do it. If you don't know about it yet, you want to try to get in last minute, you'll be able to find all the challenges on the scavenger hunt on our Facebook page at Two Tone Podcast. It's going to be right at the top there. You can also find it by listening to episode six where we break it down in depth. Don't forget about that scavenger hunt. Next, we wanted to talk about, we have like a new partnership starting here with a great site, blueworldorder.com, and the E in blue is actually a three. It's a Memphis-based site, and they cover the Titans, the Grizzlies on the NBA side of things, and basketball and football for the University of Memphis. If, if these are your teams, definitely check it out. They have also put our podcast on there. They have a podcast of their own where they talk about the teams and stuff. Really great site. A lot of good information there. They even have articles on it. So definitely check it out. A really good site there at blueworldorder.com. Again, the th- the E in blue is actually a three. But let's jump into the show proper here, guys. We're going to start with the mailbag. Got some great questions this week. First question here from Chad Burgett. No one ever mentions Antoine Blake as a help to the secondary. He did start for the Steelers last year and had a interception in the playoffs. What is the knock on him? Well, other than that interception in the playoffs, last year he only had one other interception. He did take one back for a touchdown, and he also had a forced fumble. But in my opinion, man, as far as his size, he's almost like a – Pac-Man Jones without the coverage skills. He's he's basically a big play threat, but he, his coverage skills are lacking, and I don't think that he's going to I, – I honestly hope he doesn't make our roster. He's still 25 years old. He's 5'9", 198. But to be honest with you, I feel like with the guys we have, whether it's Cody Riggs or uh, even Glenn's boy, Curtis Riley, who – there's a lot more younger guys that I feel can contribute – uh, more than Blake can. I think he's a, a liability, and uh, every now and then he will 
get to the end zone or he will make one big play, but I think he gets burned more than he produces. So hopefully in my opinion, he doesn't even make the team. Uh, I'm not going to hate on him quite as much as Matt. You know, he, he's either for you or you're you know, a piece of shit. You should just get off the roster. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more about him next week when we're actually doing the defensive backs. Uh, it, you know, it's questions about a week early, but you know, the, I think the biggest knock on him is he's five, nine. So he, he's a, Short defensive back playing in a league full of tall guys, and he was started on one of the worst pass defenses the Steelers have had in years and years. So him starting for them last year wasn't so much a sign of how good he is as to how bad they are. It's not that he doesn't have some ability. Uh, he played for LeBeau. I think I think one of the big knocks you know people are kind of dismissing him is because he was a LeBeau guy. So that's the only reason he's here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I heard Paul Kahersky talking about him today. Is he's battling cocked for that second spot? So we'll see what happens. Odds are he makes the roster. I'm sorry, Matt. Um, I don't know that he's a guy that you expect to see out there on that side a whole lot. And it's he's just not going to get a lot of hype until he proves it. Is my thing because the team he played on last year was really bad in the secondary, and he's short. So he's got two strikes against him in most fans' minds, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate him nearly as much as Matt does, but he's not impressive. That's why. That's the knock on him is he's he's boomer bust, and it's a lot more bust than boom. You know, you can deal with a guy that's not a good, not a good tackler, not a good finisher if he comes up with a lot of interceptions. But this guy, you know, doesn't do that. He has that big play threat which is obviously a big plus, but you have to have the other skills there. You know, when you're going to get one interception in a regular season, but that's not enough if you're not elite somewhere else in your game, which he is not. Now, I do think he makes the roster. He's a Dick LeBeau guy, and he knows the system. I think that that gives him a huge leg up on a lot of these guys, and he's a Dick LeBeau kind of corner. You know, Dick LeBeau doesn't need great corners in order to have a good defense. He really focuses on getting to the quarterback and the pressure up front. In fairness, he did get his hand on 12 balls and deflect 12 balls last year, which is more a function of him being short. If he was, you know, two or three inches taller, he probably had, you know, five or six interceptions last year. So maybe that's what they see in him. I don't know if it's enough on this roster this year, but yeah, we'll see. Next one sent in by HN Tighten Up. The question is, do you think Dick LeBeau will retire after this season? And if so, who would be the ideal fit to replace him? I don't know that he does retire. I think if we struggle, he won't want to retire. And I think if we do well, he probably doesn't want to retire. hes I'm not sure how old he is. I probably should have looked this up beforehand, but I didn't. Uh, he's in his mid-70s, I would guess. And he looks great for his age. I think as long as he is able to do it, he's going to continue to do it. Who would replace him? Nobody's an ideal fit to replace him. He's a legend. Uh, as As far as coaches go in the league there well for one there's no team i hate more than the steelers and more than the jags more than the colts more than the texans but he is an is an icon on the defensive side of the ball so i mean i want to keep him as long as we can if we were to replace him we would probably be re- replacing a whole staff so i mean uh, to pick a name is pretty out of the question right now i hope we have him for at least another two maybe three years I honestly don't think Dick Lebeau ever retires. I expect him to die on the field. 
He's going to be out there coaching, and Matt's homeboy, Bleedy Ray, is going to just get blown on some coverage. Guy's going to score a touchdown to cost us a game, and his heart's going to explode. The, the man loves football. He's not going anywhere. If he does retire, we'll go to find a Dick LeBeau disciple somewhere. We spent a lot of draft picks and a lot of time developing this into a 3-4 team. You know, Just a few years ago, we were all 4-3. We've got a bunch of defensive ends playing linebacker now. They've invested really heavily in turning this into a 3-4 unit. I don't think that they switch away from that. So they'll find somebody in that Dick LeBeau coaching tree to take over when he does leave. But I don't see that being next year because he's just now starting to get this defense built up the way he wants it to be. So unless they just absolutely just fall apart and don't believe in him, which I think we all know is not the case, I don't see him going anywhere. Yeah, I actually did look it up because I'm not lazy like Matt, so I actually can't tell you he's 78 years old. And that, you know, he is getting up there in age, but no, I don't see him retiring. He's a phenomenal coach, and, you know, the way that Glenn put it is probably true. He probably dies on the field. You know, knowing how much he loves the game, how much he loves to coach, I, I think that that would be the, the way he goes out. But ideal fit, uh, and Glenn hit this on the head, someone from that coaching tree, someone who's a disciple of Dick LeBeau, you know, Ray Horton comes to mind. There's a handful of other guys who could come in here and run just about the exact same defense. The one problem is you don't have the genius Dick LeBeau standing there to draw from. You know, these guys are not bad coaches at all, but they're not Dick LeBeau. On to the next one here. Josh Pryor sends us in this question. Who do you think has the first 100-yard rushing game for us this season, and what game does it happen? It's hard to say. I I think for all the right reasons, we're not going to have a 100-yard rusher first few games. I don't have the schedule in front of me. My answer is DeMarco Murray, but I think it's going to take a few games to get there only because we're going to use a lot of both guys. Even with, I mean, Mario is probably not going to get a hundred yard game this year. At least I hope he doesn't. That's not really what we're trying to do. I would say that last year we, well, for however long we haven't had a hundred yard rusher was because we didn't have the talent, whether it's the tailback or the offensive line. But I think this case, we're not going to have one for a few games, maybe, I don't know, week four or five, maybe only because we're going to be spreading it out between the talent that we do have now. So, I mean, it's a good problem to have in this case, but for the last couple of years, it's obviously been the downfall of our team. But I would say DeMarco Murray, maybe week five, we'll say, and he'll probably be the first one to do it. I wouldn't be surprised if down the line, Derrick Henry has a hundred yard game. Hopefully they both get hundred yard games uh, more often than not. But I would say DeMarco Murray, probably week five, week six, maybe. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, it happens week one. It's DeMarco Murray. The Vikings have a middle-of-the-road defense, both uh, against the run and against the pass. They aren't explosive enough on offense to light the Titans up and force them to throw. So I think we see a uh, battle of former Oklahoma running backs and uh, Adrian Peterson and DeMarco Murray going at it and have a great physical game, which reminds me that to remind you, make sure you get on this scavenger hunt. The tickets are for week one, battle of the Oklahoma running backs. Should be a great physical ball game. You don't have to do them all, spend a ton of time on it, slap some stuff together and send it in. You can't win if you don't try. I think it's going to be DeMarco Murray, obviously. I think it's going to be week two, though. The Vikings are a good team, and we have this success on week one that just seems to, you know, seems that we play our best game every single year the last handful of years on week one. 
But I, I don't think it's going to be that easy. They're still a really tough team. I think we're going to have to pass the ball a decent amount to stay with them. And so that makes me worry a little bit if, if someone's going to be able to get 100 yards. But the following week, we take on the Lions. You know, this is a team that I have a lot of respect for, but big question is how they're going to fill the hole with Calvin Johnson. They have brought in uh, Marvin Jones, they, so they do have a little bit, but still the loss of Calvin Johnson's uh, a very hard one to fill. And they don't have an impressive rush defense. So I think you're going to see... DeMarco Murray really go off. I would expect DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry to have impressive games there, but seeing as I still think DeMarco Murray is going to get a lion's share of the carries, that he will obviously be the one that gets to to that 100-yard fastest. I'm not saying it's impossible against that Vikings team. They have a pretty good secondary, even though the stats didn't really show it last year. They do have a solid secondary. Their rush defense is not overly impressive, so it could happen. I just think that we might have a hard time trying to keep up with them, and that could lead to more pass attempts. So I'm gonna I'm gonna feign on a little bit of the safe side, and I'm gonna say week two. I think a lot of people are overestimating how much you're gonna see Henry the first couple of weeks. I don't think that he uh, gets a ton of carries right off the bat because they want to establish Demarco as the lead guy. And, you know, Paul Kahersky kind of said this today. You know, I've listened to him today, obviously, and mentioned him twice already, that he's going to get his touches. He's going to get in there, but he's going to get in there as the relief for DeMarco Murray. It's not going to be a 50-50 split day one. So don't expect him to have 100-yard games on a regular basis unless he's just out there busting loose on carries. Now, if he if he gets his shot, he's a hot hand, he's going to get some carries in there. But the, I think the plan, at least going into the preseason, is to just feed DeMarco Murray and let him wear teams out and then bring in Derrick Henry and just hammer them once they're already tired. You know, that's not a bad point. <clears throat> I agree a lot with you with what you said there. So I think, I think we're all in agreement it's going to be DeMarco Murray. Just what week it will be is the only difference. Moving on to the fourth question in our mailbag, Jonathan Blasdell sends this one in, and I think this is a really good question. We need to do a question of the week just so I can give it to this guy because I I thought this one was really good here because it's something that a lot of us Titans fans are wondering. How far are we away from legitimately being a consistent threat each year to reach the playoffs? I guess the correct answer for being a constant threat would be two or three consecutive years in a row. Um, we're probably two or three years away from that, in my opinion. I think we have a shot to make the playoffs this year, but I wouldn't say we're a legitimate contender as of right now. I know every year I get a little more optimistic, and for the last two years, obviously, that hasn't worked out very well. But I will say we are headed in the right direction. I've said that many, many times. I, I really believe that, but I don't think this is our year. I think next season, assuming we get the right free agents, re-sign who we need to, uh, we could definitely be a legitimate threat. And I think the year after that, we should be you know, set up for a pretty decent run, assuming Derrick Henry matures and turns into the back we need him to be uh mariota obviously improves and um we get you know a few key pieces in the next upcoming draft you know i think in two or three years we could be a legitimate threat i'm also sitting about two years the next year is the first year that i expect the minimum the the floor for their record to be eight and eight again Uh, that's based on how well jr did in the draft this year 
We had 10 draft picks this year. We've got a couple of first-round draft picks next year. So you give all 10 of those guys an extra, you know, that first year of experience. You draft two more guys next year, plus you bring in a free agent or two as needed. Then you should have something to show for it at that point. So two years from now, you need to be fighting for a playoff spot, and it needs to be a regular thing. After that, you know, you have to keep going up and achieve a high level of success and maintain it. But not this year, not next year. The year after that is kind of the the window that I see, and it still depends a lot on what happens in free agency and injuries and things like that. As always, I'm here to be the pessimist on the show. Uh, four years is when we are going to be a legitimate, consistent threat at the playoffs each year. I think this year we end up in that six and ten area. The next season we end up in that eight and eight, nine and seven area, which could possibly get us into the playoffs, but definitely not a guarantee. Uh, then I think the next season we're looking at a really good team and, and you know someone that can even get into the playoffs and make some playoff wins happen and then that fourth season by then will be that team that you're like all right they're going to make it you know every year for a few years now where you know you're going to start seeing that super bowl window start to open you know a little bit later than than what matt and glenn said but there's still definitely a reason to have high hopes all of us said in the very near future and i consider all three of us to be very realistic fans Last question here in the mailbag. Garrett Cole sends us this one. Which home and away combinations are your favorite and least favorite as far as uniforms go? Well, I'm looking at them all right now. They're all in front of me. When I look at the dark blues, it reminds me of the old good old days, the Steve McNair, Eddie George days. And I believe they usually wore the white pants with the blue stripe. So, I mean, I... They're all, I mean, I like all of our jerseys, but I would say that those remind me of the old days and the the alternative light blue, that reminds me of the years that we've been struggling. So although I like those jerseys, I'm going to say those are my least favorite just because of the the memories it brings up. Honestly, I don't care. I don't have a favorite jersey. I don't have a least favorite jersey. Since the uh, switch to the Titans, you know, but- your favorite jersey is the Oilers throwback jersey. That's where I was headed. Thank you very much. You're welcome, mind reader. <laughs> yeah, so as I was saying, since the uh, Oilers uh, became the Titans, all the jerseys have been pretty similar to me. I don't really have a favorite or a least favorite other than some of the uh, occasional specialty jerseys they'll throw out there. It's, it's the Oilers throwback jersey would be my favorite, which is not a Titans jersey. It's an Oilers jersey. And least favorite I don't care. It's a jersey. As long as they're winning, I don't care what they wear. Yeah, it wasn't on the list that that he sent. He, when he sent in the question, it was kind of he had a couple uniforms there listed, and I know, but I have to agree with Glenn. It's the throwback jersey. That is the, in my opinion, the best uniform in NFL history, regardless of team. It, it's a good look. It's a good color, and, and and I love it every time we pull out the throwbacks. That's obviously, in my opinion, the best jersey that we have. As for least favorite, the color rush uniforms. I know that a lot of people like them, but I think they're awful. And I think that those color rushes, it's just terrible. It's not, it's not a good look, and I, I don't like it. I don't like really any time we do the light blue with the light blue pants. And that color rush was kind of obnoxiously fluorescent for that look. So I wasn't big on that. I 100% agree with everything you just said, Ryan. 
this is why I like you. You, you can stay. Well, that's what smart people normally do, is agree with me. (laughs) So we're going to move in here to the news. Glenn, the anchorman, lots and highs are going to take over. What do we got in the news this week? Not a real big group of news again, just because it is the offseason. I read an article today talking about our biggest steal and our biggest reach in this year's draft. They named pretty good choices, biggest steal being Kalen Reed from the seventh round. And it being a guy that we've already talked about, it possibly being someone who sees the field as a starter by the end of the season, and Jack Conklin being the biggest reach. And Matt's probably, probably disagree with that, whereas Ryan and I think that they should have taken uh, Laramie Tunzel at that point. But, you know, do you guys have any differing of views on the best use of a pick and the worst use of a pick in this year's draft? I won't say best and worst because I think there were worst, but as far as biggest reach goes, I i mean, you guys know how I feel about this. I think we missed out on something really special in Larry Tunsil. I've said it on the show now. It feels like a hundred times. So, obviously, I, and nothing against Jack Conklin. I've seen a couple people after I said it the last time gave me a little bit of, of shit about, you know, getting on Jack Conklin. I like Jack Conklin a lot. And don't get me wrong, I think he's a good football player. And I think that he will do good on this team, but I do not think he's Laramie Tunsil. I don't think he has that kind of skill. So I think still, to me, that's the biggest reach. We traded up to get a guy we probably could have stayed right where we were and got, first off. And then we traded up for a guy when there was a guy that plays the same position that was much better. And obviously a reach for me. And I'm going to agree with Kalen Reed. I really look this over because... Some of these picks I really liked. You know, one that sticks out to me is Austin Johnson. A lot of people had defensive tackles rated a lot higher than him. And then we ended up taking him, which I think surprised a lot of people. And so I thought about that, but I still think Kalen Reed. This was a guy that a lot of people had going even as early as the late fifth round. We got him with the very last pick of the seventh round. So I think it's an obvious steal. That's a, a big gap. And I think this is a guy that could end up being a starter on this defense. As far as biggest steal goes, I could go one of two ways. First, I'll say if Derrick Henry comes out and delivers like he could and and basically be that next big unstoppable running back, to get him at pick 45, that's pretty big. But to go a different direction, I'm going to channel my inner Chris Frazier, and I'm going to say Tajay Sharp with uh, the fifth round pick I think uh, for the value I mean he, he definitely has some some skills he needs to work on but I think he can do that I'm going to say definitely that with a fifth round pick that's that's definitely could be our biggest steal as far as biggest reach goes uh, my first thought was Kevin Byard in the third but I actually like that we picked him we didn't have a fourth round pick so getting him when we did was probably necessary but we had to trade up in the fifth round to get LaShawn Sims, and I didn't know much about him then. I don't really know much about him now, but he hasn't done anything since the draft to make me really change my mind. We gave up a pick next year to go up and get him, and I'm not sure, so sure that he even makes the team this year. For most expensive reach, I would definitely say Jack Conklin, just because we gave away picks to trade up to get to a guy, and we didn't take the best player on the board. The guy I would say is the biggest reach, though, would actually be uh, Aaron Wallace. He's got all the talent in the world. We're going to talk about him tonight. But he only has one year of actual real play in college. He's probably going to be a uh, special teams only or a practice squad guy this year. 
So the fact that they still got value like Kalen Reed at the end of the draft, but then they, they spent a pick on Aaron Wallace that early, which you know is the seventh round, the top of the seventh round. It wasn't early. But they spent a pick on Aaron Wallace where they could have taken a Kalen Reed right there. So who else could they have gotten? And then just signed Aaron Wallace as an undrafted free agent later. I just want to clarify. I think that Conklin was still the biggest reach, but I think that Aaron Wallace is obviously the worst pick that we made. I agree with that. And I agree with that, and that's a guy I actually like just three years from now. All right, uh, we've already kind of gone over this. Jaguars owner, Con, came out and said that his Jaguars fans should expect them to win now. They are in the win-now mode. We definitely saw that with the way they spent money in free agency this year. We've already discussed several times, you know, hoping none of that works out for them, and it's all terrible because we don't want them to get any better. We know how we feel about the Jags. The Jags fans have annoyingly agreed with him and are out there talking crap in mass. How many games do the Jags win this year? And how long is it before Amy Adams is ready to come out there and declare the same kind of statement? First, I'll start with the, the Jags part of it. This Jags team did really improve. They have greatly improved. But... You know, you see all this. We won the off season. We won the off season. Well, how many teams have we saw won the off season, win the Super Bowl? Because I can tell you how many it's been. It's zero. The Jaguars are not poised to be a real contender. Ignore what your friends from Jacksonville are telling you, because it's just not true. This team is going to still have growing pains. They're moving in the right direction. They've got a lot of key pieces in a lot of different places, but they need to gel as a team. Miles Jack has a really high chance of re-injury. That's something you got to look for. Jalen Ramsey is going to take time to be good in this league. He's not going to come out and be impressive in this first year. But I think that they're they're poised to win here some games. I'm putting them at 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, I think they do improve, but I still think that there's some holes on this defense and there's some places that they can improve along the offense, especially at the offensive line, for this Jacksonville team to be a real contender. As for the second part of your question, when do I want to see Amy Adams declare something like this about the Tennessee Titans? My answer is never. I don't ever want to hear her say it for a couple of reasons. First, it's it's an empty, shallow, meaningless gesture. It doesn't mean anything. No one cares how many games that she thinks we can win. They care how many games the Tennessee Titans win. So let your team show it on the field. The second reasoning is it puts a lot of pressure on your general manager, on your coach, and a lot of unnecessary pressure that's just not needed. So don't do it. Don't do it. I like silent owners, owners that don't say anything, don't get involved. Just sit back there, count your money, you know, build something nice on the stadium every couple of years, and just be quiet. I look at it like this, man. If you're con and you, you know, you come out with a statement like that, you got to realize this is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've had so many irrelevant seasons that how they even have a fan base is beyond me. And I know right now we're not exactly one to talk, but if we if we're going to talk about somebody, it can be the Jags. This is basically just they, they've made impressive strides on paper. They've unfortunately had, well, in our case, fortunately had some some unlucky breaks as far as um, Fowler last year, and and who knows what Miles Jack's going to be. But honestly, I I think they're making great improvements on paper, and I, and I think it'll it'll show on the field also. But I mean, they basically haven't had anything for so long 
they've been the, the the bottom of the barrel for so long. There's a reason their roster looks so much better than they have. It's because they pick in the top five, top ten, at, you know, every year. They haven't been relevant since Mark Brunel and Keenan McCardell and Fred Taylor, those guys. When we beat them, you know, three times in what was it, ninety nine. How many games do I think they're going to win this year? My, I looked at the schedule right before we got on here, and I came up with nine and seven. That's probably too high for them. I don't think that on paper it looks like nine and seven to me, but I don't think they're going to perform up to that level. They, oh, there's always a hiccup. There's always something. Something always happens to Jacksonville, and I'm not complaining. But I look forward to the day when Jacksonville is a competitive team that we can play and that uh, we're competitive, obviously. I, I'd like them to become the biggest rivalry in, in the Titans uh, organization because I really dislike them. And I look for the day that they are a bigger rivalry, in my mind, than the Steelers because better to have an in-division rivalry than a, a formal rivalry with the Steelers-Oilers. But I think that I'm going to say 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, just like Ryan said. And as far as Amy Adams does goes, it's irrelevant. I really don't care. I could see her saying it just to just to make a, a news title. I don't. I don't think that's even relevant at this point. So whether she says it or not, it doesn't matter. We need to do what we need to do and go from there. Yeah, I took Con's statement basically as a please come to my damn games because their attendance has gotten so bad. That's, that's how I took that statement. Uh, it's the it would be the same thing if Amy said it is our attendance would have to get so bad that she's out there basically pleading with fans to have some hope that for this team, he spent a lot of money this year so he needs people to fill that stadium and to believe and buy some jerseys, and I don't know for the same reasons you guys said with those injuries that it's going to be enough. They will be an improved team. There's no question about that. Just if the pieces are even somewhat of the whole, they should be a better team this year. I think they're actually a year ahead of us in their development. It just depends if they can stay healthy or not. I think that they're probably looking at more like a seven or eight win season, though, instead of a possibly a nine win season. It, it's all roughly the same. All we want to do is just beat the crap out of them two times every season and call it good. And just, you know, make, make Colin feel like maybe he wasted his money at the end of the season. That would be pretty nice. The uh, only other story I've got is uh, there's a lot of stories popping up about Marcus Mariota being ready to break out this season. We've covered that already in the offense about what we expect to see with them running the ball so much so he's not throwing the ball 50 times. As we said already, we don't want him to have 100-yard games unless it's just he comes around the corner and rips off a 90-yard carry. You know, I, I like the threat of him being a runner than seeing Mariota being planned on running. Uh, based purely on average quarterback rating, though, where do you predict he ranks in the group this year? Is he a top 10 quarterback, a top 15, a top 20? Top 5. Marcus Mariota's biggest strength is his accuracy, and QBR and quarterback ratings favor quarterbacks that are accurate. You don't have to put up the big numbers yardage-wise. You have to be accurate. That's what he does. That's one of the things that he's best at. If you look at his numbers before the injury, he was setting in that top five. I believe he was third before the first injury in QBR. Finished the season at 16th in QBR. But now everything around him has improved. You know, you can't find another guy on this list that can say that. Where his defense has improved, his wide receivers have gotten better, his running game has gotten better. Everything around him has improved, and he's only going to be better this year. So that's why I think 
that the, the sky's the limit for him as far as QBR quarterback rating goes. I think he's going to be a top five player because how accurate he is. And with all of the help around him, especially the help with the running game, he's only going to be that much more efficient. Yeah, I agree somewhat. I wouldn't go quite top five. I'm thinking more between 10 and 15. I agree with what you're saying. I mean, we are getting better, but there's always, you know, there's always that factor that that you never can count on that that just something always happens. It's not going to be a top five rating, I don't think. I do have high hopes for him, but... I'm going to probably say anywhere between like an 8 and 14 ranking. I don't know. You know, top five is just a little bit too high for me. I'm probably in the same range as you, Matt. I, I'm thinking 10 to 15, somewhere in there. He could get up as high as 8. His red zone percentage last year was so good. And if we could run the ball and dominate and get downfield, he could have just a ridiculous quarterback rating at the end of the year if he's not having to come back and win. The problem is, is our defense isn't quite ready to give him that luxury yet, and our offensive line is still a work in progress, so he's going to keep getting hit. He he will hopefully not fumble the ball this year. He won't take as many shots this year. So his his rating should only go up. He's got another year of comfort. You know, being on the field, he should be you know just that much better. I don't think top five, though. Um, I'd love it. I'm perfectly willing to be wrong on that one. I, I'm thinking 10 to 15. Definitely top half of the league. It just kind of depends on how that offense really works out. And that's all I've got for the news this week, guys. Let's go ahead and get on with this. Big thanks to Anchorman Glenn Lodzenizer there. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and break down these linebackers. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey all you Titans fans, if you're looking for a great app that has all the Titans info that you need in one place, check out the Tennessee Titans app. You can find the links to it on our Facebook or Twitter or on the AppCatch Marketplace. This app features links to the latest Titans news, the official Titans shop, the schedule, Ask Jim Wyatt, videos, pictures, and even a link to the best damn Titans show around, Two-Tone Uncensored. Again, you can find the Tennessee Titans app on our Facebook page at Two Tone Podcast, on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensor, or on the App Catch Marketplace. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, and we're back with more Two Tone Uncensored. Let's jump into the linebackers here, guys, in our positional breakdown that we've been doing this offseason. Let's start with the two starters that are obvious starters on the outside of this linebacking core. You have Morgan on one side, Arakbo on the other. Obvious starters, am I right? Absolutely. And like I said earlier, these guys are defensive ends. 
I've always been a four three guy. Even when I was playing, and we were playing in a four, three four front, it just never felt right. Uh, these guys are defensive ends, so they're they're standing up. They're they're both clear starters. Even bringing in Dodd, there, there's absolutely no challenge to them. Morgan and Arakpo are absolutely submitted in their positions. Uh, I don't think you could make a case for anybody to even be pushing them. It's just a question of who's backing them up. Yeah, I could argue with that. Only, I mean, yeah, they're starters, no doubt about that. But I mean, both of them have injury history that are that need to be monitored very carefully. I think that Dodd will probably stay on Morgan's side, and I, honestly, I think with all the injury history that that Arakpo's had, he actually was completely healthy last year. I know that. He ended up starting all 16 games, but there was definitely a few times he had me holding my breath. Um, he's a huge part of this defense. We need, we actually need both of these guys, but I think Arakpo is probably the most important linebacker out of all the linebackers, including uh, Avery Williamson. But um, as long as they can stay healthy, I think we're, we'll still see a, a decent bit of Kevin Dodd. And uh, to keep the guys fresh, I wouldn't be surprised if – Deontre's mount also gets some playing time, but but definitely those are our starters, and as long as they can stay healthy and fresh, I think we'll be all right. I think that obviously a Morgan Iraq are our starters. I think that Matt brings up a good point here, though, is injury history and Morgan somewhat Arakbo a lot. You know, we've seen him miss a lot of time. Last year, any time Arakbo even stayed on the ground a second too long, it made you nervous because you didn't want to see him go down. He's such a big part of our defense, and he has a bad history with injuries. And the Tennessee Titans know that, and that's why we saw them address the need of depth at outside linebacker very early by going after Kevin Dodd. Speaking of Dodd, uh, Tyler Stone actually wrote in a question about Kevin Dodd, and we couldn't get it to in the mailbag. He was basically asking where he fits in in this defense and how much we're going to see of him. And I think it's going to be a good bit. I think you're going to see a lot of rotation uh, with Kevin Dodd as obviously the third off of the bench on the outside linebacking core. And if we do see an injury out of Morgan or Arakpo, I think obviously he's the third guy to step up. Yeah, I think with Kevin Dodd, a lot of a lot of things I like about him, he's got a relentless motor with an already NFL-ready frame. And he's extremely instinctive and well-coached. Brett Venables has said nothing but but great things about him in a few interviews that I've heard. And obviously I followed him at Clemson. His one knock is that he's considered a one-year wonder. Well, in 2013, he was actually uh, medically redshirted for a toe injury that, that took him out. And he played sparingly in 2014, but you got to realize the guys he were he was playing behind Vic Beasley, Corey Crawford, and then of course Shaq Lawson on the other side also. So you know when when it was his time to shine in 2015, he definitely performed. He he came out with 23 and a half tackles for loss, 12 sacks, and that was over 15 games. And the best part about Kevin Dodd is he plays his best football on the big stages. He was a beast against Oklahoma, a beast against Alabama. I think he's got some some growing to do in the NFL. I don't think he's going to start out as, you know, the monster that we want him to be, but I think with maybe a few games under his belt, he's going to be he's going to surprise a lot of people and he's definitely going to be in heavy rotation come this season. I, I do agree that he's going to see a lot of play. I mean, who else can you really rotate him out for? He needs to be out there getting his reps. He's got some hand issues. He lets blocks get into his body a little too much. 
the way he tackles, he tends to lunge at people as opposed to wrapping them up and running through them and laying hard hits on them. It kind of looks like someone playing Madden sometimes where he could run up and catch the guy, but instead he hits the dive button and dives at him. Once he starts running through people and really powers through them, he's going to knock some more balls out of people's hands. He's going to you know, force some fumbles. He's going to hit some people really hard. Uh, Lou Spanos is being his position coach and playing in Dick LeBeau's system. It, it's the best possible world for him. It's going to really let him grow. Kind of see him as a Derek Morgan, Brian Arakpo blend kind of guy. He's a little bit taller than those guys, a little bit heavier. But I did want to touch back on Derek Morgan. Last year we saw it. It's a case of absence makes a heart grow fonder. Uh, when he came into the league, I w- he had a lot of hype around him as a 4-3 defensive end. He never really lived up to that. Then they stood him up as a 3-4 outside linebacker, and he still just didn't really blow anybody away. But we saw it last season. This team needs him to be on the field. They could not generate a pass rush to save their lives once he was gone. Rakpo can't do it himself. He's a big key to it. Rakpo lets Morgan be more effective because Morgan was having a pretty decent season at the start because teams had to respect the other side of that linebacker core. So these two guys, they've got to be on the field. They've got to be out there together. Dodd, it, he's not ready to be that pass rusher just yet. So it's, it's going to take a little while. I don't know that it'll be you know, three or four games. It's, it's going to be a little while longer before he's really ready to go out there and replace these guys. But I think we have the right guy for whenever one of these guys does start to fade out or eventually gets hurt again. The other guy would be uh, Mount. A lot of fans like him better than me. He's, he's a big guy. He's got some decent speed, decent physical attributes. He's not a natural pass rusher, though, and he can't cover. For me, he's really a run stuffer, so he's a two-down player. You know, As long as the other team is you know trying to pound the ball, I don't see him pushing for a lot of rotation in there. Uh, I, just, I can't see him taking Dot off the field. So he's, he's going to have to go out there and earn it. And then the guys behind him, none of those guys really blow you up. They're all camp body discussion kind of guys. So it's Arakpo, Morgan. Then you've got Dodd, who we all expect to get pretty good time. I, I expect them to rotate those guys out pretty regularly. So Dodd gets plenty of play. Mount's going to get out there, obviously, because you have to rest people and rotate them through. And... I I think we could be looking at a four-man outside linebacker rotation for the season. Yeah, with DeAndre's mount, um, he only played four games in his rookie season. In his first career game against Tampa Bay, he actually had an interception against Jameis Winston. But like Glenn said, he's not exactly a cover guy. He was he was kind of in the right place at the right time, rushing the quarterback, and Jameis, I guess, just got flushed and basically threw it right into his hands. You know, he, he got hurt about a month later in practice, after that first game and ended up going on season ending IR. Um, recently Mount has said that he's about 80 or 90% right now and expects to be a full go by training camp, but he says he feels stronger and more durable after adding on about 10 pounds this off season. So, I mean, he's in position to at least get on the field and what he does with it is all up to him. Yeah. First I'm going to talk about Dodd here and I've said it before on the show that he's one of my favorite picks that we had in this draft and Matt said the only knock on him is the one-year wonder. There's a couple uh, of knocks on him. You know, that one, uh, you know, we've seen him. People talk about how he, he struggles against very strong offensive linemen. We've seen people talk about how 
he really benefited from being on a great defensive line. But I want you to look at this. Go look at his numbers and go watch his tape when Shaq Lawson's not in. And then go watch Shaq Lawson's tape when Kevin Dodd's not in. Because you're going to see something that I saw when I was watching tape on both of these guys is Kevin Dodd was still successful when Shaq Lawson was on the bench. That did not happen, vice versa. Kevin Dodd made a lot of those plays happen. And, you know, This is a guy, even though he was a one-year wonder, he makes plays. He's a very disruptive player. And I, I think a lot of Shaq Lawson, not a lot, but I will say a fair amount of Shaq Lawson's numbers are heavily because of Kevin Dodd's performance. He's not there yet. Of course he's not there yet, but I think he is more ready than a lot of people give him credit for. He is a guy that's going to be a really stellar pass rush. He's kind of like that, basically a Bruce Irvin. Like, all he's going to do is pass rush. He's not going to do anything else for you. He's not going to be any good dropping back. He's Bruce Irvin, basically. He's just going to go after the quarterback, and that's it. He's a defensive end and a, and a 4-3 system, you know. but obviously we don't run a 4-3 system. But I I think that you're going to see Dodd get after the quarterback. He does have more moves than he's given credit for. He's more NFL ready than I think a lot of these guys. I actually early on had him in the first round. Towards, you know, a while after, I put him in my mock drafts in the second round because of the way the NFL was receiving him, but I don't think a lot of it was fair. I think Kevin Dodd's a, a pretty outstanding player, and I think he's going to have great numbers throughout his career. I think this is a guy that could be a starter even if Morgan and Arakbo are healthy by next season. I think he has that kind of player in him. I think he's that kind of performance. You see him have the high motor, high energy. There's a couple knocks on him, but I think it's stuff that you can work out really quickly because he's that type of player. This is a guy that I'm really high on and that I like a lot. Really, I'm not going to spend much time talking about the guys outside of the top three there. You guys touched on a lot of it. I think DeAndre's Mount's going to see some time, and I think he makes the roster. But I think outside of that, I don't think anybody else makes the roster. DeAndre's Mount, you know, I like, but still, I mean, he's nothing to write home about. He's just an average player, and I think he makes the team, and then after that, that's it. It's just going to be those four guys. But we do have the rookie. What do you guys think about Wallace? Wallace has got all the physical athletic gifts you could ever ask for. He's a really fast linebacker. He's got good size. He's got all the quick twitch traits that you'd ask for. It's just a pure lack of experience. He's like a high school kid right now. You know, he has one year in college, and he improved a lot that one year. I mean, everybody said he, he went from looking like a high school freshman to looking like a high school junior by the end of the season. That's a pretty big jump. But it still doesn't mean he's a college player yet. So he's got all the physical ability. I, I'd like him to stick around because we need a fast linebacker like that. But I don't know that he can stay on the team as anything more than just a practice squad this year. Just, just from lack of experience. Unless he just comes in there and just absolutely eats up that playbook. And even then, he's got to develop some on-field awareness so he knows what he's looking at. I mean, he, he'll know the play where he's supposed to be, but if he can't read the offense yet, it doesn't do any good to be in the right spot and the play's happening on the other side of the field. Yeah, I'm not going to waste any time repeating what Glenn said. I don't think he's ready yet. I could see him contributing on special teams, maybe. I don't know that he even makes the team. Aaron Wallace is where an outside linebacker should be in their sophomore year of college. 
at best. Yeah, I'm not impressed with him at all. I think it was a garbage pick. Uh, I don't think, like Glenn said, that he'll end up being a player in three or four years. I think the amount of effort and the amount of time it's take to make him a NFL outside linebacker is just not worth the money that you're going to spend keeping him on the team. Moving on, we're going to move inside. Obviously, two starters here, Williamson and Woodyard. These two, just like we're talking about, Rackbo and Morgan, obviously the starters here, guys. Yeah, it's absolutely no question. And you know, this is really the uh, the legacy of Rustin Webster, Matt's godfather. He he came in, he just he, he bled the team dry by not reciting quality players, letting people leave, and just bad draft pick after bad draft pick. And so we're at the point now where we have Avery Williamson, who we drafted, who's turned out to be a very good he's he's a tackling machine. Uh, he doesn't have sideline to sideline speed. He's not a great coverage guy. He's he's getting better at it for sure. And then you have Wesley Woodyard, who I wasn't a fan of when they brought him over. I didn't think he played that well for the Broncos his last season there. He's got great speed for his size. He's probably slowed down a step at this point just from damage over the years. But he's he's never been a big linebacker. He, he's put on a little bit of weight since he came in the league. He's improved as a tackler. He, he's a good leader. I get the impression that the players on the field like him and they like having him out there. He's a guy that I would have looked to replace in the offseason, honestly. So the fact that he can't be even challenged by any other guys on the roster, is, it's a Rustin Webster thing. There's just there's no depth here yet. This is a spot that I expect them to go after in next year's draft, to be honest. Even the guys they brought in, they brought in some guys who have played on some other teams that should be pretty good players in time. But they're, they're, they're veterans who've got three years. Uh, we got a bunch of these guys on this team that just they can't challenge the starters. There's no, there's no real depth going on there. Yeah, these two guys, obviously, they both come from Kentucky. The best thing that you may not know about Avery Williamson, he grew up in Tennessee. He grew up a Titans fan, which obviously I love that. His best game last year was against Carolina, which – I remember how physical that game was, and, and he he definitely showed up for that one. He's been labeled as the unofficial leader of the defense by his teammates, and obviously he's going to be the signal caller for the majority of the plays. The only time I might see him get subbed out for maybe somebody like, I don't know, Sean Spence or uh, or any of the guys, but for, for dime packages, I don't think he's as good in coverage as he could be. I think that maybe we see somebody else um, sub in when we are in the dime. But as far as Wesley Woodyard goes, he's the best way to describe him, in my opinion, is a high floor, low ceiling kind of player. He'll actually be 30 years old in uh, probably about a week or two. I think it's July 21st is his birthday. He'll be 30. We got a bunch of young backups trying to take that spot. I don't think he will. I think he played pretty well last year, but I'm willing to say that he's probably going to hold those guys off. He's just a solid average player. I don't I don't think we're going to get any more than we've already gotten out of him. Whether he can repeat last year's production, I would I'd be happy with it, but I don't know that he can do it. We'll have to wait and see. These are two guys that I think are are good players obviously. And obviously Avery Williams more so. Avery Williamson's not a stellar linebacker. He's solid. He's good. He moves well. You know, he doesn't miss tackles, but he's not a sideline-to-sideline kind of guy. He's not great in coverage. I wish he would improve that part of his game. But he's he's solid. You know that he's going to be there. He's not going to miss tackles. He can make some plays now and then that are really spectacular. 
And he's always going to be one of those guys that's at the top of your total tackles at the end of the season. In a perfect world, I wouldn't want Woodyard starting, but he is right now. And we have so many other holes that are more pressing that I'm not that upset with him being a starter on this defense. He's a good player. I agree 100% with what Matt said. He's a high-floor, low-ceiling player. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him when you put him on the field. Now, I do want to see that position upgraded, but I do think we need to fix other things first. There's some stuff that I want to see get improved first. So I do think that Woodyard has an expiration date as a starter on this defense, but I do not think that expiration date is marked 2016. He'll be the starter this year. And maybe even next year, but I think we'll try to bring in somebody at least next year that we can mold into a starter eventually. As far as their backups goes here, guys, it's something that you brought up a little bit. They're probably fighting for a roster spot or, or two of them here. Who do you think ends up winning this? Who do you think gets left out? I think Nate Palmer sticks with the squad. He played pretty well for Green Bay last year. They they let him walk, but it's because inside linebacker is not their biggest concern. Uh, he wasn't a big-time playmaker or anything like that. He played well, one year for the Packers in 2013, had an injury the next year, had surgery, missed the whole season, came back last year, and he had 64 tackles. He, he only had one sack. He was not a big impact player, but he's kind of like the two guys we've already got. He He gets out there. He makes tackles. He does his job. He, he He's also not a sideline-to-sideline guy. I don't think we have a really impressive inside linebacker on this squad. Just as Ryan said, Avery Williamson's a really nice player, but I'd rather him be my second second inside linebacker than my first. And you know, so Nate Palmer, I think he makes the squad. Sean Spence I'm less impressed with than a lot of people, but I don't know if there's anybody else to challenge him. Aaron Walls, who we already talked about, could be an inside linebacker, but not for another three seasons. And like Ryan said, will he be able to stick around to the team? If he goes to the practice squad, does he get signed away by somebody else? You know, So I, I think you have Sean Spence and Curtis Grant for that other spot. I don't see Curtis Grant making the team. I think he's a camp body. So I think it has to be Sean Spence and Nate Palmer as your backup inside linebackers as long as they carry two of them. Do you guys see us picking somebody up in the waivers at the inside position? Absolutely. I fully expect them to go get somebody else. But, I mean, that's kind of where Palmer and Spence came from. It's that same thought process. Somebody with a deep linebacking core let him go. That's how they ended up here. So if somebody else who has a deeper linebacking core will release a very nice player for us, we will happily pick him up. I don't know, man. I, I think, yeah, I think that we will if there's somebody out there. But it's definitely not a pressing need, as I said before. I think we need to improve our offensive line a little bit more. I think we need to improve our secondary. So there's a lot more stuff that's like more important for us to grab. And I don't know if there's anybody out there that we're going to be able to grab there might be depth out there. We might be able to replace Sean Spence, but I don't expect there to be starter-level talent. I don't expect us to get somebody that can replace Woodyard this year. You never know. I mean, really, you could get a starter out of it. There's there's guys that get cut you know, all the time, whether it be for cap issues or, or you never know. I mean, for one, I, I like Avery Williamson a little bit more than you guys. I think he's hasn't reached his full potential yet. Oh, I but agree. With that being said – there's definitely a possibility we get an upgrade from Wesley Woodyard in, you know, through waivers. It's it's completely possible. 
my question there is what kind of player are you getting? Are you getting someone at the end of his career who's just cut because he's making too much money and he's getting old? Or are you getting a guy away for you know conduct issues? He beat up his girlfriend, so they waived him, and he's better than anybody we got on the squad, but do you really want that problem? Well, put it this way, I don't want uh, Rolando McLean, but I would take James Laurinaitis, who was a free agent recently, and we didn't jump on him, but I would absolutely take Laurinaitis over, to be honest with you, over Williamson or Woodyard. Laurinaitis hasn't played in a 3-4 system since college. I mean, isn't Laurinaitis already signed? Yeah, yeah that's not, that's not my example. point. Yeah, I'm just saying he was a free agent. We didn't go after him, but I would have liked, would have loved if we grabbed him, to be honest with you. I don't think we you went know, after him for the reasons that Ryan gave, though, is because he's not a 3-4 linebacker. That's taken. Good, like, my thing is, you know, our arms lopped off and we have a bruise on our knee. Are are we gonna <laughs> fix the knee first? Like, there's a lot more things that we need to improve. Just our secondary, <laughs> or <laughs> you know, what I mean, there's a lot more places Just that we can improve. <laughs> Matt's hating. Well, agreed. It's a valid point. We have bigger needs. I'm just trying to think of positions that are likely to be deep enough that they, somebody drops somebody that we can use. I I just think that we got a lot of young guys that aren't really that great of backups in this league and I think that we could probably upgrade there yeah I just I, I don't think there's going to be anybody there I think that we could upgrade for sure I just don't see anybody being there that's really going to be that much of an improvement and we could end up using those waivers or whatever it is you know to go grab someone we need more yeah I wouldn't argue with that all right that's about all we have for this show I want to thank my co-hosts, Glenn and Rustin Webster, for being on the show with me tonight. Do not forget to check out the scavenger hunt. Get your submissions in by noon Eastern time on July 19th. We've got some great submissions so far, so a lot of a lot of good stuff so far. And also, do not forget to check out the blueworldorder.com. The E in blue is a three. Really great site that they have up there, so go check that out. We will be back next week when we cover the DBs. Also working on a little bit of some more interviews for you guys. I know how much our, our fans have, have really dug into those interviews. So we're working on a couple more of them here. We'll see how that works out. But plan on seeing us next Wednesday, and we'll have the entire defensive back breakdown as well as Glenn, the anchorman Lotzenheiser with the news, and the mailbag. That's all we have for this show. Boomer! Good night. You will not see Antoine Blake. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show two-tone.pinecast.co or by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensor and like it on Facebook. <laughs>